Hey, would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our study in the book of Matthew. The series is called Follow Me. Everybody say, Follow Me. It's called Follow Me because that is Jesus' command to those who uh, hear the announcement and respond to the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. We respond to the kingdom of heaven by being followers of Jesus Christ, by becoming His disciples. Being His disciple means that we live for Jesus and we live like Him by being brought into vital contact with the Holy Spirit. It is not simply a, a, a morality or a, or a new, uh, new idea, but we are followers of Jesus, but not, not observers of an historical Jesus, but followers of Jesus because we have received the same Spirit that was upon Him, that was upon the original church, that we follow Jesus by being brought into vital contact with that same Spirit. Everybody say the same Spirit. So with, with confidence in that spirit, now we lean into the scriptures for, the, uh, for what Jesus has to say. So now we're in Matthew chapter 5, and what we are in is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what we have, Jesus talking to his disciples about what following him should look like. This is important, just hermeneutically as you approach the text, we need to understand that who, who is, there are three things that, three A's that we remember when we interpret this scripture, author, audience, agenda. So who's the author, what's the audience, what's the agenda? As we follow along Matthew writing to, remember his audience, Matthew's audience consists of, as, as most early audiences were, Jewish Christians. That, were, that is, Jewish people who had followed Christ. But Matthew's audience seems to be specifically, his, 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 his uh, document seems to specifically be tailored to them so that they can have confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the heir to the promise of Abraham and the heir to the throne of David. That's what Matthew has done, that Jesus is the, the, the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes. And then Matthew, as we keep reading, as, as he, we see that now he has told us that, that what, how he has organized this is he has drawn us a picture of Jesus uh, essentially climbing a hill and then calling his disciples to himself and then talking to them about what it means to be or what it looks like to be his followers. So as we read this, we need to understand who Jesus is talking to. Who does he have in his crosshairs? He's talking to people who have said yes to Jesus. He's talking to people who have said, yes, I'll be your follower, who have repented and they've gone through water baptism and they've come to him and now, so he's talking to them. Now, listening to them could have been observers, passers-by, the curious, the interested. But what's important to understand is that if you want to take ownership, if you want to, for these words to be to you, you need to say, I will follow Jesus. Otherwise, it's just looking at them and listening to them. But for them to, to take root in your life, for him to, so when he says you are the light of the world, he's not talking to just, just to anybody. He's not talking to Johnny or Susie out there. You are the light of the world isn't to everybody. It's to those who are following him. This continues, the same audience. Now, we pick that up. We pick this up now in uh, verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5. Let me just tell you where we're going today. 
Today we will read Matthew affirm that following Jesus is not a departure from the Old Testament, but a fulfillment of it. This is going to help us today. Here's a little just kind of a preview, maybe a spoiler alert. As followers of Jesus, as those who, when we read our Bibles, it may be tempting. We, we may face a couple of, of erroneous uh, choices. And that is one to say, well, um, we have a New Testament, so therefore the Old Testament, I don't even have to look at that. That's not relevant or helpful in any way. I can just forget about all that Old Testament stuff. There's one erroneous choice. The other choice is to think, oh, there's an Old Testament. I need to make sure that I, I do and live by everything that I see there. I need to get me some, I need to not wear cotton and polyester. I need to get me some goats so I can, you know. Uh, all, no, no. So we, we're, we, there's, neither of those are, are prescriptive or descriptive for a New Testament believer. So then what do we do with the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament? Well, the first thing that we're going to have to understand is that Jesus didn't call it the Old Testament. He just called it, well, he called it the Bible. Well, he didn't use that word. He called it the Law and the Prophets. That's what they call the Scriptures. So when we, so essentially, our approach to the Scripture, our approach to this Bible, friends, has to be this. Please approach your Bible as the whole Bible. Just say the whole Bible. Please, please. Please do not approach your Bible as, well, there's this whole bunch of stuff at the first and then the good part. Please do not approach it as, as two books, but one. The scriptures, we will see the scriptures all are about Jesus, his fulfillment of them, and, and, then, and then describing how he fulfills them, describing what it means, and then ultimately prompting our hope for his return. So everybody say the whole Bible. Hopefully today what this is going to do is help us uh, avoid uh, uh, erroneous approaches to the Old Testament and even saying, well, there's the Old Yeah, there are different ones, but it's all about Jesus. And the whole Bible is profitable and useful for us. So let's lean into this passage. Let me read it and then we'll pray. Here's Jesus, verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps them and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, breathe upon us from these words that you have breathed out. Help us to understand. Help us to be transformed Help us to follow Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So as we approach this passage, there's basically two big questions that we're going to try to answer. Number one, what does Matthew want his readers to know about following Jesus? Right? What does Matthew want you and me, his audience, no matter when, when it was, 
What does he want us to know about following Jesus? And then, how should you and I respond today? We're going to try to answer those questions, kind of interwoven, dance them together concurrently. Let's take one verse at a time this morning, okay? So first of all, verse 17, this title in your handout and on the, on the PowerPoint is this, Jesus came to fulfill God's word. Whew, that's good. Say that out loud. Jesus came to fulfill God's word. Here's what he said. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, many in Matthew's audience, because of Jesus' ministry, because of how he practiced things, we've seen that, right? By the time Matthew's writing this down, the ministry of Jesus has already happened. He's not writing it like a court reporter. He's writing it after the fact. So there would have been people in Matthew's audience that would have known that Jesus did things like healing on the Sabbath, or he would have touched a dead person, or touched a sick person. And they might have said, hey, wait a minute, what's this rabbi up to? What's this new guy? Is he, is, is he throwing out all of our sacred tradition? Well, some of the tradition maybe, but is he, is he throwing out the word of God? And the answer is, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish. He wants, Matthew's audience needs to know that they can trust, whew, this is good, Matthew's audience needs to know that they can trust Jesus, that he is the promised one. He's not a brand new idea. He is the idea that God has had since the beginning, and he is the fulfillment of God's idea. They, they need to know that. So they, here's the words of Jesus. I didn't come to abolish the law. To destroy. It's a strong word in the Greek. I did not come to destroy, to set aside, to make irrelevant the Scriptures. Some might have accused Jesus of that. Some might have hoped that he would get rid of some of them, you know, make, make things a little more easy, you know, maybe ease up on some of that righteousness stuff. Maybe, maybe Jesus is a bit of a, you know, all this goody two-shoe stuff. Maybe ease things, let, let people, you know what, all we really want to do is live how we want to live now and go to heaven someday. Am I right? Can I? No. Maybe some people back then were, were living that way or thinking that way. Just back then, though, right? Here we are, a contemporary audience, and we're hearing it again. Do not think I've come to abolish the Scripture. Do not think that my coming and the promise of eternal life and the mercy that is available in my name and the, and the abundant grace, that somehow what that means is, you know, just live however you want. Indulge yourself in whatever licentious behavior you want. Take advantage of people. Do whatever you want, just as long as someday you get to heaven. What a, what a bunch of nonsense. He did not come so that we could... Uh, be enslaved to sin, but then someday go to heaven. He came not to abolish, but to fulfill. Everybody say fulfill. Here's, and here's the big word. This is one of the main words is fulfill. The other big word is righteousness. Both of those are going to kind of be the, 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 the pillars that support this passage. But this is a big word. So if this is in fact going to answer our question, what does, how do we respond to the scriptures? How does how does our relationship with Jesus, how does following, what does Jesus have to do with the Bible? He fulfills it. To what extent? To what purpose? Righteousness. He fulfills it, which leads to righteousness. I want you to say it with me because that's where we're going today. He fulfills this, which leads to righteousness. All right. So what does it mean that he, what does it mean when Jesus said, I came to fulfill? 
Well, already Matthew has helped us because we've read, even from the, the birth narratives forward, uh, Matthew will stop and recognize something Jesus said or something that Jesus did and then pause and say, this happened in order to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he'll take us to a passage a lot of times in Isaiah, for example, that Jesus fulfilled. So if we use that template, that rhythm, then to when, oh, here's Matthew using this word fulfill again, then we know what Jesus means. He came to bring to completion. He came to show the ultimate intent, the divine design, the real significance of the scriptures. Jesus came to do all of that. So Jesus came to complete the scripture, to give them meaning, to prove their significance. Jesus then fulfills every requirement of the law. Jesus fulfills every hope of the prophets. He fulfills it all. Every promise, every hope. That means that this Bible, and again, just pick up the whole thing, this Bible, every word of it is fulfilled and is proven and finds meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus then gives me access to and right to the whole thing. He came to fulfill it. That means I, if Jesus fulfilled it and I'm, I'm following him, that means I have access to the whole Bible. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's, that's very exciting. It's very exciting because that means that every promise, have you ever read some of the promises God delivers to the people of Israel? Have you read those things and ever thought to yourself like your kid in the, the candy store window? Golly, I'd sure, I'd sure like some of those. But then we are good evangelical pastors and teachers have told us, no, 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 those are all Old Testament promises. We're in the New Testament now. We have ours are all spiritual. And by that they mean nebulous and they don't matter. We just, they're imaginary. But if these things are fulfilled in Christ, that means that the promises afforded to Israel are not the property of ancient Israel alone. Because I follow Jesus, they're fulfilled in him. I have access to those as well. I can read Deuteronomy 28 and say, I'm blessed when I come in. And I'm blessed when I go out. I'm, I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I can lend and not borrow. I have access to that because Jesus fulfilled it for me. And then you read the rest of Deuteronomy 28 and it says, yeah, but if you blow it, it's going to get bad. He's going to do this and this curse and this curse and this curse. And I say, oh, no, what am I going to do about that? Oh, that's right. He became a curse for me. He took the curse for me. He fulfilled the whole thing. You see, I don't have just as much of a right to all that as those people. I have more. I have more not because I'm something, but because Jesus is everything. He didn't come to partially fulfill it or a little bit. Every single thing that the word that came out of the word of God, Jesus gives it life and power and color and vibrancy. It's alive today and it matters today and it's for you and it's for me because of Jesus. Oh, somebody should say yes. It's worth following him. When he said, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, nobody said, ah, nuts. He said, oh, good. All of the goodness of God stored up in the heavenlies. That's why Paul will say later in Ephesians 1, he will say, every, every blessing, 
Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Paul understood that God has held nothing back from us in Christ. But I also have access and right to the expectations of obedience. I have access and right to the expectations of obedience and radical Radical holiness. To live differently than the world around me. To live a pristine ethical life. A life of devout worship and service. And a rejection of the world's value systems and ethics. I'll say it this way, I have a profound and deep access and right to all of this. But because of Jesus, all of this has a profound and deep right to and access to me. It's profound. It's profound. And ultimately... The great hope of the Old Testament. It's repeated, it's really, it's repeated through type and symbol and promise is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, the promise of God to pour out His Spirit and to dwell within us by His Spirit and make us new, which is foreshadowed and promised throughout the Old Testament, finds fulfillment in Jesus. He is the one who has come to baptize us, to bring us into full immersion, to whelm us with his spirit. We might never be the same. So just backing up again, just to understand what we're saying here about Jesus fulfilling. It means that the whole of the Old Testament finds complete meaning and real significance in the person and work of Jesus. It also means that Jesus becomes necessary for you and I to understand and respond to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is vital and it's important, but we must read it and respond to it through and because of Jesus, or we'll miss the point. The Old Testament, the scriptures. So then we understand that there are some things that have been fulfilled and that they are, we no longer live that specific way because of Jesus. For instance, there's a, there is a, a sacrificial system set up in the Old Testament, right? A sacrificial system where they sacrifice lambs and goats and this and that. And, and, uh, but we understand that Jesus fulfilled that. And when we read those passages, we, don't, we aren't motivated to go buy goats. We're motivated to understand what Christ has accomplished for us and to give thanks for it and to live in the freedom of it. Talking with my students as we go through some of these things and we, and we look at my students at the, at the university, they'll say, I remember... Uh, 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 they, they, I remember they were very confused about the goat. They were like, what's the deal? They didn't, even know, they didn't even know what the term scapegoat meant, which is how far some cultural language has evolved. They said, what is the scapegoat? What is that, all, what is that goat? And, they, and I'm list, I kind of bait them for a few minutes, and I'll say, so tell me what happened. And they said, well, well, they put their hands on this thing, and they said a bunch of sin things, and then, the, then they sent the goat out of the city. I said, well, that's crazy. I said, interesting. I said, so they, 
they put their hands on the goat, and, and, and then the goat carried their sin. Yeah. And then the, sin, then the goat carried their sin and then went out, and then went out of the city to die. He carried their sin and, and left, took it out of the city. Yeah. I said, interesting. I said, wait a minute. Then I bait him. Wait a minute. Where was Je- I said, where was Jesus crucified? They said, oh, outside the... And then their minds blow up. People laid hands on him. Sinful men laid their hands on him in brutality. And he took our sin upon himself, went outside the city, carried our sin away. So what we see is we, we see that Jesus fulfills the types and the symbols and the commands. He fulfills these. And yet surrounding those types and symbols, in this, even in the sacrifice, Jesus, I mean, we could, you could study the tabernacle and say, that's Jesus and now that's us. Amazing. Okay? He fulfills all of that. But in, around those types and symbols and, and systems are moral codes that govern those who live by those things. So there are moral codes that govern a redeemed people who who put their trust in the sacrifice of another. Those moral codes, Jesus also fulfills by upholding them. The moral code of the sanctity of human life, the sacredness of human sexuality that, that was governed or anchored by those things that anticipated Christ are still in force today because Christ is the fulfillment of those things. By fulfilling those things, he actually makes more valid those ethical and moral requirements. So because of Jesus, it's still it's even more don't kill people, don't steal people from people and don't commit adultery. But more so because of Jesus. <laughs> So as we read the Old Testament, and you'll do this in your groups and on your own thing, read it, how, what, am I, what I'm reading here, how is it affected? How is it amplified? How is it given life and meaning because of Jesus? He came to, everybody say, fulfill. And, and what does his fulfillment do? It leads to our righteousness. Okay. If we, if we read the Old Testament or any part of the Scripture, but if we read the Old Testament without Without the lens of Jesus, we'll miss the point, and we can't afford to do that because verse 18 says that the precepts and the principles of God's word cannot fail. Someone say, cannot fail. fail. Now, you might say, Dav, that's not what the verse says. I'll tell you, it does mean that. Okay? For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Your Bibles, I don't know, very few of you, but your Bibles might say jot or tittle. Okay? What is a jot or a tittle? Uh, well, first of all, what's cool is that is Jesus says this. Verse 18, I, Jesus says, I say to you. Would you say that phrase out loud? I say to you. He says it again in verse 20. I say to you. What? What? What we might not realize, because Matthew doesn't put it in great big bold print for us, is that for Jesus as a, as a rabbinical teacher to stand and, or to sit and to say, I say to you, is, was not something that other rabbis said. That was not a common phrase. No one, in fact, said that. They would say things like, it is written, and then they would quote other teachers a lot. But for Jesus to say, I say to you, the closest biblical 
uh, e e uh, a parallel. The closest thing that we can find in the scriptures for Jesus to say, I say to you, is found when we read the Old Testament prophets. When they said, thus says the Lord. The closest thing we can find to I say is, when, is the, the, see, the prophets, when they heard God, they said, this is what God said. But when Jesus talks, he said, this is what I say. You understand, Jesus is asserting divinity simply by saying, I say to you. Then he says, until heaven and earth pass away. What he means is, he doesn't necessarily mean, he's not referring to an eschatological point where of the new heavens and the new earth. He's not, it's not wrong to say, oh, well, then with the new heavens and the earth, new earth, maybe we won't read our Bibles. I, maybe not, but I don't, I think we'll still have them. I'll still have mine. Jesus is not saying, don't worry, someday the Bible won't matter. He's not saying that. He's actually comparing the durability of God's word with creation itself. He is saying God's word is more durable, more sustainable, more alive, and more real than creation itself. It would be more likely for heaven and earth to disappear than for one word to disappear out of this book, he says. That's what his audience said, ooh. He is speaking with hyperbole intentionally. He's telling us that God's word cannot pass away, not a jot or till. That by jot, that word is yod. Everybody say yod. yod. Yod is the smallest consonant in the Hebrew writing. It's a tiny little thing. It looks like a comma upside down placed on top of the word. It, but you say, well, why does it say jot? Because Germans can't say ya. Like they can't say Yahweh. That's where we get Jehovah. Long story. I don't want to ruin your life. We'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's, it's yod, not jot. And, and the tittle is just the smallest brush stroke on a specific consonant that would change the sound of that consonant significantly. So what do you mean by that? Well, imagine the letter O, right? What, what sound does O make? Okay. Now, if I put a little, if I put a tittle on there, <laughs> a fruit, if I put a little fruit at the bottom of that O, what happens? It goes O went to how did, how did O go to by a little fur? <laughs> Jesus said, the word of God, not even the smallest, not the smallest letter, and he said not even the smallest stroke on a letter will disappear until it is fulfilled, until it, in other words, until it accomplishes the thing it was sent for. It can't fail. That's what he's saying. The word of God can't fail. He's not saying it is some sort of concrete memorial that's up there that you can just walk by, some lifeless thing that just sits there and immovable. He's saying the word of God is alive and it cannot fail. Heaven and earth will pass away before one word of God fails to accomplish what it's sent to do. And this is what the closest thing we have is Isaiah 55. He said uh, in verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear fruit and sprout, so and furnishing seed to the sower and bread for the eater, so my word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. 
and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The word of God cannot fail. It must succeed. And it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The precepts and the principles of the scripture remain alive and in force because of Jesus. And if that's true, if I follow Jesus, that's where we lean into now uh, verse 19, where how I respond to the scripture, how I respond to these principles determines what kind of follower of Jesus I am. Look at verse 19. Our response to God's word affects our stature in the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And I, I, I should have put this in your bulletin now. Everybody say now. It should be on the thing. We're not talking about, this is not about how you will experience heaven. He's not even talking about heaven yet. He's talking about the, the, the dominion of the spirit, life in the spirit now. Our response to that affects our stature now. What kind or what quality of disciple I am is indicated by how I respond to the Scripture. For whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, that's discipleship, listening and teaching. Okay? Whoever listens and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Not kicked out, not unsaved, but least. So I didn't use, I was telling Emily, I said, I can't use some of these commentators. They say horrible things, inferior Christians. I said, if I said inferior Christians, people would get sad and go home. So good thing I didn't tell you that. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that heaven will recognize your stature in, in, the, in, 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 the, in, the, in life in the spirit, in life following Jesus now, that it's like he's saying if you, if, you, if you take and decide that something, if you pick and choose, if you pick and choose what's valuable and what not, what's valuable and decide what you're going to follow, that is the indicator of being least in the kingdom, meaning you are not a good disciple. Good disciples don't pick and choose. Say that out loud with me. Good disciples don't pick and choose. We don't. Good disciples don't pick and choose. Well, you know what? I never cuss. I just make sure I tell about everybody that I know that does. I just share lots of prayer requests. <laughs> pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose. We understand, Jesus said, he does recognize, he agrees with the rabbis, that there are, there are, there are matters of great, greater weight in the scriptures. Jesus says it later. He said, hey, you, you practice tithing and that's good, but you've neglected the weightier measures of justice and mercy. So while there are, there are measures of, of, that are weight, some are weightier, we don't pick and choose what we, what we respond to. We respond to all of God's word, and our response to God's word indi- indicates that we are a good disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not speaking here again of reward or of punishment. He is saying that what makes a great disciple is one who honors the word of God. Because followers of Jesus will honor the purpose and intent of the Scripture, which is, as we have said, righteousness. Which brings us to verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, everyone say that, 
righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness, your approach to the word has to be radically different. Now, again, I realize right away, even North Americans, we hear scribes and Pharisees and we, we fold our arms and we say, yeah, those guys were so dumb. They did all the wrong. Good thing I don't. And, and uh, we pat ourselves on the back for being so much more superior. But here's the thing. We're talking about people who really were trying. They were, they were doing their, their outside best to, to live according to a list. But Jesus is saying, living by a list will never give you real righteousness because righteousness comes from within. It comes from a transformation in the heart. Your righteousness has to be totally different from theirs. Because we understand as followers of Jesus, righteousness is not earned. It is given to me by the Lord Jesus. I, I receive his righteousness. I must, see, for me to have righteousness, I must believe that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for me. So when I believe upon him, then he shares his righteousness with me, comma. But what that does is then call me to respond to his word with a greater fervency and honesty and, 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 and faithfulness as a follower of Jesus. I am, he gives me a surpassing righteousness and my response is then to, by faith, live out and practice a surpassing righteousness. It is, it is a deeply dangerous idea for people to believe, that them, for them to call themselves a Christian and think that means they, they, there's, there is no expectation of righteousness on their life. Jesus absolutely paid it all. Jesus provided it all, and he, he paid for and provided it and, has a, and also has a supreme expectation that you will live accordingly. That's why Paul will write later, he will say, live worthy of the calling you have received. He didn't say earn it. He didn't say you deserve it, but he said because you have received it, live accordingly. Following Jesus requires real righteousness. It is a surpassing righteousness to which we have been called because it is a surpassing righteousness that we have been given. I'm going to say that slowly, but it matters. It is a surpassing righteousness to which we have been called. Because it is a surpassing righteousness that we have been given. So that we will live for and live like Jesus. So that we will follow him closely. So closely that it becomes difficult to tell us apart. Our lives as followers of Jesus. Honor Respond to, obey the scriptures. And that is real righteousness. And that's what it means to follow Jesus.
Would you pray with me this, this, uh, this morning as we close? Lord, I thank you that Jesus fulfills, has fulfilled and gives life to and gives meaning to the entirety of your, of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that because of that, because my faith is in him, and because I am, am given of his spirit, that I honor the very word he came to fulfill. And that by honoring that word and living accordingly, Lord, that I live, that your, your word says that I am trained in righteousness. I thank you that followers of Jesus live righteous lives. They do because they can. They do because of what Christ has given us. we pray this morning, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads, please, and let me pray with you and for you. But before we close, before we close this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have not said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. You have not surrendered to him. You have not said, I want to follow him, but today you do. Maybe it's been, maybe it's been a long time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've followed him from quite a distance. Or maybe the first time this morning, you say, I, 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 I'm not a follower of Jesus, but today I want to be. I want to be his disciple. I want to receive him as my, my Lord and my Savior. You're here this morning, and you have not, but you want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to challenge you to do something about it, and just let me know right now. Would you just raise your hand where you are to say, today I want to follow Jesus. I have not, but today I want to. I'll wait for a moment. Let me see you. It's an important decision. Don't be haphazard about it. Know for sure. Do you want to follow Jesus? He, that's his call to you. Follow me. Will you say yes? I'm going to ask all of us to stand this morning. Could I ask you today, all of you in the room, to just, if you're willing, to just affirm or reaffirm that you want to follow Jesus, that you are following him. And by the power of his spirit, you will follow him in righteousness. If that's you, would you just say amen out loud? Heavenly Father, I pray over your church today. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would continue, Lord, to enable us to live for and to live like Jesus as his disciples. This I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Follow Jesus and be kind to someone on your way out. Hope to see you tonight for Spirit-Filled Living Service. God bless you big.